All right, well, let's go ahead and take our Bible and turn to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter 16, and hope everybody got a bulletin tonight and an outline. And uh, it is a little bit expanded than what we normally do, um, but I want to just quickly review what we uh, talked about last week as we are starting this doctrine of the church, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. We started it last Wednesday, and uh, we'll be in this doctrine for uh, several weeks, I'm sure, um, maybe a couple months uh, before we move on to the next one. By the way, the next one I'm excited about as well, and I know most people enjoy this next one is uh, eschatology, the doctrine of the last, last things, last times. And uh, so we'll look to the future a little bit, but, but right now we need to know what's going on and right now as far as what we as Christians should be involved in, and that is uh, the work of the local church. Uh, we, need to be, we need to know the importance of the local church, and we need to understand our role in it and our part in it. Well, let's uh, Matthew chapter number 16, in verse number 13, once again. The Bible says this, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, this is when Simon Peter got the answer right, finally. Uh, sometimes he didn't get the answer right. Sometimes he kind of bombed the test. But this time he aced it with flying colors. In verse number 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Well, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we mentioned this is the first time in Scripture we see the word church. And uh, the church in the New Testament is a very important institution that God ordained. In fact, it's one of three institutions that God ordained in history. First, He ordained the first institution that God ordained and back in the book of Genesis was what? Anybody know? Marriage or the family. Uh, the first institution was marriage slash family. And then the second institution that God ordained, which is our favorite one of all, right? Which is human government. Don't we all love human government? We were just uh, at the table uh, talking a little bit about the joy of human government. <laughs> Um, but yeah, human government was the second institution that God ordained in Genesis chapter number 9 when the, one of the primary purposes of human government, by the way, was capital punishment. And, and then the third institution that God ordained was all the, way, all the way in the New Testament, and that is the church. The church is the third uh, institution. And, and by the way, the devil loves to take what God creates and pervert it. And we see that in the family. We see that going on right now in our country. Uh, the, the devil in, in just society is, by and, by and large, the devil is trying to pervert what God ordained as the family, as one man and one woman together. Uh, there, there's a, this, this month is Pride Month, of course. 
And, um, you know, God hates pride, of course. We need to remember that. Um, he uh, delights in the humble and the contrite ones, not in the proud uh, and flaunting their sin. But so there's, there, there's corruption in the family. There's corruption in human government. And it doesn't take uh, a real observant person to know that as you watch the news. And then there is corruption in the church as well, sadly. And uh, we see that as you look at the landscape of churches all over uh, this world and, and how some are adopting and allowing some of these I mean, they, they, they have women pastors, and then they have homosexual pastors, and, and, and we're allowing corruption to take place in the church as well. And so the devil likes to take things that God ordains and creates and perverts them, and we see that happening right now. But um, let me get back to uh, the outline here very quickly. We looked at last week the meaning of the church. What does a church mean? Well, we said that it meant... It's from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out assembly, and it's mentioned 115 times in the New Testament. And a church is a local assembly who are called out of this world in the sense that they have identified with Christ and are joined together for the purpose of forming a church as described in the New Testament. Um, so the meaning of the church, we talked about secondly, local church and universal church. Um, by and large, the 115 times that the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, most of them, the vast majority of them, all have to do with the local church and not the universal church. But there is this concept of the universal church. This is the family of God. This is what each and every one of us becomes a member of at the moment of our salvation. Um, and we, we talked a little bit about that. And then we, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the local church because of the 115 times the word, the word ecclesia is mentioned in Scripture, the overwhelming majority refers to the local church. I mean, these were individual churches that met in specific locations. There was the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch, the church at Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Colossae, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, the churches of Galatia, and uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church, and more. Okay, that wasn't in Scripture. That's the local church that God has established here for us. And uh, I know there's other good independent uh, Baptist local churches in the area as well, um, but uh, I'm partial to this one. Um, I, I think this is the best, best uh, church in the area, in the world, really. And uh, I've been to all of them, and I, I assure you this is the best one. Okay, maybe I haven't been to all of them. But uh, I, I do love this church. I love the church family here, and I'm thankful to be a part of it. Well, um, so we talked about the local church and the importance of it. Then we started talking about what is a Baptist church. Uh, thirdly, what is a Baptist church? And again, we're Cornerstone, not just Cornerstone Church. We are Cornerstone Baptist Church, and, and there's a good reason for that. And uh, we talked about... We're working our way through the Baptist acrostic using the, the, the name Baptist and, and finding out what each of the letters mean because they, they all mean something that, that we identify with as Baptists. And uh, we, we mentioned uh, it does not stand for what where a lot of Baptists... I just have to repeat this because I like this joke so much. Okay, Baptist does not stand for B, buffets, A, appetite, P, potlucks, T, Taco Tuesday, 
I for ice cream or S for sweet tea and T for tater tots, okay? Uh, that's not what Baptist means, contrary to popular belief, okay? Um, we, we do know how to eat as Baptists, and uh, I'm thankful for that truth. But actually, there's a lot more to it than that, and it's much more serious. So we are a Baptist church because we believe the following list most accurately reflects the New Testament teaching of the church, okay? Now, again, we know that Baptists aren't the only ones in heaven, um, but as I said last week, uh, you might as well fly first class if you're going to go there. And uh, But again, I don't want to... Baptists ought not to be... Um, you know, ha have this arrogance and this pride um, that that that's off-putting to the Lord, of course. And um, but but we should be Baptist by conviction and stand firm on what we believe. Okay, so what does Baptist stand for? And there's a few already listed there for you because we covered them last week, and so I won't spend a lot of time on them. And if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that message. But B stands most, and this is the most important one of all, Bible-only authority for faith and practice. Bible-only authority. And we know that uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We know that. And the Bible is our only authority as a Baptist church, um, as opposed to other churches that have a man as the authority. Uh, we, we, we do not... Uh, there, there's no man that tells us what to do. Um, it's it, it's not it's not the pope. He doesn't, and um, you know it's not any man. There, there's no person over us. It's uh, it, it's the Bible is our authority. Okay, tradition is another one that a lot of churches hold on to. Like, we, and and Baptists can fall into this too, if we're not careful, because we we don't like change. We like to do things the way we always have done them, and tradition becomes. Uh, equal to gospel and to the scriptures, and and, and that that that's that's wrong. And we need to make sure that the Bible stands as our final authority. Then there's churches or religions that hold to other books, such as the um, uh, the Mormons, who have the Book of Mormon as their authority. And and whenever there's a contradiction between the Book of Mormon and the Bible, you talk to a Mormon, you say, "Do you believe the Bible?" Oh, yes, we believe the Bible. But they also believe the Book of Mormon, and, and they forget the references in Revelation about adding to the Word of God, and uh, the, they, they forget about the warning there, and, and so they have this other book, and, and whenever there's a contradiction between the Bible and the Book of Mormon, they go with the Book of Mormon, because that revelation that was given to Joseph Smith trumps uh, the, 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 the Bible that we hold in our hands tonight. In their minds. So as Baptists, we hold to the truth that the Bible is our authority for faith and practice. Then we talked about, secondly, A stands for autonomy of the local church. Because Christ is the head of the church, we believe that every local church should be independent of a hierarchical framework or outside governmental structure. So we don't have uh, denominational headquarters or anything like that. Um, and uh, one, one of the uh, men in our church came up to me after the service last week as I was going through this, and he said, one great example of all what you were talking about on the autonomy of the local church was the 
uh, the Methodists, and we see that right now where there's a lot of liberalism going on in the Methodist churches, and it's, it's the whole denomination that's affected by it. And there's some churches that are saying, well, we don't want all that liberalism in our church. And, and there's some that are embracing that, and it becomes a very complicated scenario. But, but we here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, um, we, we're, this, this is our authority, and uh, we're, we're autonomous, so we don't have anybody trying to dictate to us uh, what we should allow, what we shouldn't allow into our church. Um, we're, we're, we're autonomous. And so we're responsible to provide our own leadership. And, uh, and as, we, as you look at denominational organizations, the truth of the matter is denominational headquarters or organizations are not biblical. Those are all man-made. They're, they're, they're man-made. And so when it comes to doing church, we need to make sure that we're not adding man-made stuff I know you could take this to the nth degree here, but, but denominational organization is, is not a biblical pattern at all. And uh, so we, we, we um, as, a, as an independent Baptist church, that's why we are autonomous. Now, we are free to cooperate with other churches of like faith and practice. We do this. Um, we attend, as I mentioned last Wednesday, youth rallies, ladies' retreats, pastors' fellowships, the men's advance. Um, we go to. We're going to go to teen camp in a few weeks. Going to junior camp and uh, other churches uh, put these on, and um, it, and it's helpful and it's it's a blessing. But uh, but again, we're, we're we're not part of a denomination. We don't have to answer to anybody. And whatever comes into the tithe, through the tithes and offerings, a portion of it doesn't go to denominational headquarters. All right, so. We looked at uh, the autonomy of the local church. Then we uh, looked at letter P stands for priesthood of the believer. And this gives the, uh, the truth that, look, we have direct access to God. You and I as saved believers, um, we have a direct path to God, whereas in the past that wasn't always the case. And in some religions, it's not taught that way. You have to go sit in a telephone booth next to another guy in a telephone booth and tell him what you just did uh, yesterday and last night and all the things that you've done and hope that he goes to and, and forgives you. That's, that's not biblical at all. First um, Timothy 2.5, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we have direct access to God. We are our own priests, and you don't have to come to me and I'm thankful for that, because if you had to come through me, uh, that, would, that would be a taxing, taxing type of a job. Um, I'm thankful that you can go to God, uh, not, not, not through me, but through Christ, because He's the one that made that way for that relationship and that uh, avenue of prayer. So we have direct access to God. We've been chosen, um, and we, have, we all have access to God's truth. It's not like you have to hear it only from me. Yes, I hope that I am giving you the truth when we meet together and assemble together. But you have access to the truth as well through the scriptures. And I want to encourage you to access that truth on a daily basis. And not wait till Wednesdays and Sundays, but to on your own be in God's word 
And you and I also have access to God's will. So uh, we, we talked about that last week, and that's where we stopped. Uh, let me keep going, though, with the new material. Um, we have the letter T, and it uh, does not stand for Taco Tuesday. It stands for two offices within the local church. So there are two offices in the government of the church um, that are biblical offices to hold. And we have, what are they? They're pastor and deacon. Now, we're not going to take a long time tonight to go through what each of these are and um, talk about the details of them. We are going to do that in a future message when we look at the offices of the church. But, um, but just know that there are two offices, pastor and deacon, and it's not showing their authority or the, the emphasis on each of these roles and offices. Uh, it, it's, it's less to do with their authority and, and, and all that, and it's more about their responsibility and what they're supposed to do and their qualifications they're supposed to fit. So it's... It's not about, oh yeah, well, it'd be sure be nice to be the pastor because then you get to be in charge. <laughs> That's not the emphasis in the scriptures about the office of a pastor. It's more about the responsibility that a pastor has. Not you get to be the one calling the shots. You're the one large and in charge. No, you're the one that has to answer one day to the Lord for the church. And you are to be the shepherd and leading and guiding that church family and feeding the flock and being an example and, and, and watching for their souls. I mean, it speaks to the responsibility, not to the rights of a pastor. Okay, so um, pastor, that's the, that's the emphasis there. And then deacon as well. It's not talking about, ooh, I'm a deacon, so I get to kind of be large and in charge in the church as well. No, that's, that again, the emphasis of being a deacon is being a servant, is being um, a helper, and being willing to do the mundane tax, tasks so that the pastor can give himself to the ministry of prayer and the Word. So we'll talk more about that as we get into that aspect and look at some of the qualifications that a deacon's supposed to meet, that a pastor's supposed to meet. And there are some high standards. And it's not always easy to meet those standards all the time. But it is something that um, God has set up in the local church. And so I know that other churches operate differently where there's you know, bishops and elders and all these different, the, the Bible has three different words. Um, there's, there's bishop, there's pastor, and there's elder. But it's all three words for one, one uh, role, one office. And it's not, and the reason for the three is because I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to cover this later when we get there. But, but each one of those deals with a little bit of a different aspect of that office. A pastor deals with more of a shepherd aspect, and a bishop is an overseer, and an elder is spiritual maturity. And the, those, those are necessary to do the role of a pastor to fulfill that role. And then deacon, of course, there's deacon is the only name given in the Scriptures for that. There's one verse that I want to show you real quickly, Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. this shows us the different 
roles in the church family. So there's three. There's really the the the, the saints. Then there's the then there's the pastors, and then there's the the deacons. And here they're all three mentioned in in Philippians one one. It says Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints. In Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So, in a church family, there's the saints, and then there's the bishops or the pastors, elders. I mean, you could call me Bishop Eric. I, I'd be okay with that. No, don't do that. <laughs> Elder Eric. That, that's too Mormon for me, so please don't. I, I, and I know it's a Bible word, but in our culture, you... you Pastor Eric is fine, or Pastor Johnson, or just pastor's great. Um, and then we have the deacons. So the three categories of people in that church. And, and by the way, one is not better than the other. They're just different roles. Okay, pastor's not better than anybody else. A deacon's not better than anybody else. Um, we're, we're all, the ground is level at the cross. And, and here at Cornerstone, that's how we look at it. No one's better. We're, we're, all, we're all in the same, uh, we all have the same access to God, and we all are loved by the Lord uh, infinitely. But there are different roles and responsibilities that God has given certain people within the church. Okay, so two offices within the local church, and we'll talk more about that as we get into that uh, message down the road. Then there's letter I. Stands for individual soul liberty. See, Baptists believe that every Christian has received tremendous privileges and consequently bears tremendous responsibilities. We also believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has made each believer competent to fulfill those responsibilities in company with other believers. So, individual soul liberty is the responsibility that all believers share to understand and obey God's requirements for themselves. This duty can't be delegated or assigned to another believer. Each individual believer is personally responsible for understanding and obeying God. In other words, parents do not make their decision for their children um, to trust Christ as their Savior. Now, if I could as a parent, I would, but that's not doable. Um, each person has to make that decision for themselves. And God has placed that onus on each individual person to believe on Christ personally. And so you say, well, the thing is, is my, my, my dad was a Baptist pastor, and my grandpa was a preacher, and my grandpa's grandpa was a preacher. And so, you know, I'm, there's, there's no question that I, I am born again. Well, just because your dad was a preacher and you, have a, you come from a long line of preachers doesn't make you born again. So you have to individually make that decision. And one, one danger about living here in the Bible Belt, I, I, I feel like we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Um, may, maybe not, but um, a lot of people do feel like, hey, look, you know, I, 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 yeah, my parents were Sunday school teachers and superintendents and deacons and, you know, and so they kind of feel like just because that they grew up with this means that it's an automatic thing. No, no, there's an individual soul liberty and soul responsibility for every person 
to make the decision to trust Christ. So I'm going to just take this moment right now and not just do teaching, and I'm going to ask you, have you personally in your own life made the decision to trust Christ as your Savior? I'm not asking if your mama was saved or if your data was saved or your grandpa was a preacher. Those things might be true, but have you personally been born again? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If not, tonight's the night to make that decision because God has given you that responsibility to make that decision. And that's what we believe as Baptists. Look, no, no person can decide for you. A, a pastor can't decide for you. A, um, by the way, the state can't decide for you what religion you're going to be. And there are some governments that in the past have made those decisions for people. Like, this is the state religion, and everybody's going to be a part of this. No, as Baptists, we stand against that and say, no, everybody needs to decide for themselves. And I'm thankful we live in the United States of America at this point. We still have the freedom to choose our religion. Although, one could absolutely make the case that a certain religion is being thrust down our throats. It's a religion of tolerance and uh, it's against what we're preaching tonight, um, but according to the Constitution, we still have the, cho- the freedom to choose. But uh, each, and their, each person is responsible before God to choose what they do with Jesus Christ, but also they're responsible before God in matters of holiness and conscience. I can't... We all have a choice. We all have the free will. And uh, that's emphasized in the Scriptures. Remember, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth. There's no forcing here. We all have a choice to believe or not believe. And that's what we believe as Baptists, individual soul liberty. I can't decide what you do. You have that right to choose, but you also have that responsibility to choose. See, it's not just a right, it's also a responsibility. So, and you will have to give an account to God for how you've chosen to, uh, what you've chosen with Jesus Christ and how you've chosen to live your life. You, you, you have that right, but you are also going to be held responsible for that right and what you do with that right. That's what we believe as Baptists. Letter S stands for separation of church and state. And this is a big one here, and this is always, this always comes up when, you know, uh, churches are trying to have a say in what goes on in government, and the liberal crowd will rise up and say, no, 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 separation of church and state. They like to claim that. The thing is, um, separation of church and state in our Constitution was not meant to limit churches from having an effect on government because when government first was established here in America, churches were very influential. In fact, you know, the writers and founders of our Constitution were, were very godly individuals. So the, the very, um, you think about this for a quick second, how many branches of the government are there? Three. How many, how many persons are there in the Godhead? Three. It, it, it's not by coincidence. It's not just, well, three, they like that number. 
They, they, they've done this in, in, they pattern our government after the, the things of God and after uh, the word of God. So separation of church and state is not meant to keep the church out of the state. It's meant to keep the state out of the church. And that's, that's, a big, that's a big deal. So Baptists believe that the coercive power of the state must not be used to enforce matters that should be left to the conscience before God. And Baptists believe that Christianity should not appeal to the state for support or advantage. The state's role then is to ensure that people have liberty to worship God according to the dictates of their own consciences and the Word of God. Now, this does not mean, though, that we get to kind of say, you know what, the government then doesn't have any, um, I have no responsibility to the government. No, that's not what Jesus said. Remember when Jesus said, they, they said, should we pay taxes? He said, show me a coin whose inscription is on it. Well, Caesar's, okay. Well, then he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God's the, thing, God, the things that are God's. So there is a responsibility that we have as believers to be good citizens in the nation and in the country uh, that we have been uh, called to live in. Romans 13 uh, tells us in uh, verse number 13, or, or verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And so, verse 5 says, Wherefore ye must be, needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Pay all the taxes. But don't pay more than you have to pay. <laughs> um, find a good CPA and try to get as many dedu deductions as you can, right? But... Uh, but at the same time, look, we, we, there is a principle of our government does have people that need to get paid. And do they get paid more than they should? Uh, maybe. That's not for us to decide. We are called to render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And then that's not only mentioned in Romans. It's also mentioned in 1 Peter chapter number 3. I meant First uh, Peter chapter two and verse thirteen. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that 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 do well. So we're to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king, whether it be to President Biden. I'm, you, you may not like the current administration, you may not enjoy it, um, but we are still responsible as believers to submit to the current administration. Now, there is a exception clause. And whenever the government is telling us to do something that is contrary to the scriptures, that's when we rise up and in, in courage, in boldness, and not with arrogance, but we do so in faithfulness to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, but we can't do that because it contradicts what God, who is a higher power than you are, has told me to do. 
Acts chapter number 5 is one such instance. And this is perhaps what you're thinking too in your mind. And Peter was the bold one who said this when the uh, government there was telling them to stop preaching in the name of Christ and um, to stop spreading their doctrine. In verse 28 of Acts chapter 5, they said to him, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, Well, we ought to obey God rather than men. Like, okay, I, I understand that's your rule, but we have another higher rule, and, and, and Jesus has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He told us to go into all nations and teaching them and, and baptizing them and, and, and teaching them to observe all things. So he says, look, we, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hang on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior to, for to give repentance uh, to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so uh, is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So uh, we, are, we are called to obey and submit to authority of government. But we also, there is an exception clause. If they ever tell us that, look, you're not allowed to meet and assemble together. We're going to say, I'm sorry, but he's told us to assemble together. So we're going to find a way to do that. And uh, you know what? That may happen someday it, during COVID. We saw signs of the times or of potential um, mandates against meeting together if it goes against um, the government mandate. And they did. They told us we could not meet. And for the time being, we were okay with it because no one knew the extent and the danger of COVID. No one really understood it all, but, um, but they could say the same thing when it comes to, hey, if you're going to preach against the LGBTQ community, then you're no longer allowed to meet. Well, we're going to still meet and we're going to still preach the truth of God's word, not, not out of hate and spite, but out of faithfulness to the word of God and to, to the Lord. There's one more responsibility if you turn to 1 Timothy. There, at least one more that I want to mention tonight. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 real quickly. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings. So we are to pray for intercede for, give thanks for President Biden. And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So we have a responsibility to submit to the authority of government, but we, are also, uh, we also have a responsibility to pray for our government. To pray for those in authority. Why? So that they'll make good choices so that we can continue worshiping the Lord and fulfilling the work of God in the context of the local church. So that we can, verse number two, lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. And so let's pray that 
God helps these men and women to make decisions that help us to continue have the freedom to do what we're doing tonight. And to go out on Saturday and pass out tracts and encourage people to get saved and give them the gospel and to have vacation Bible school and to go to teen camp, to continue doing the things that we do as a church. So be praying to that end. Separation of church and state. There's three more, and all I'm going to do is finish this thought. I really was hoping to get to the part two. We'll have to start that next week. But um, there, the, the, the next letter, T, is two ordinances. Two ordinances. These ordinances that God has given, that Jesus has given the church, are baptism and the Lord's table or communion. So these two ordinances are not to be confused with sacraments. So sacraments, um, these religions that participate in sacraments, believe that they have saving merit behind them. But as Baptists, we do not believe that baptism nor communion can save at all. They have no part in salvation. They're not necessary for salvation. The only thing necessary for salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptized, and partake of communion, then thou shalt be saved. No, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace alone, through faith. So these two ordinances are not sacraments. They have no part in salvation, but they only serve as pictures of what Christ did for us. Baptism, of course, um, shows the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, five precious people get baptized, and uh, that was such a special evening. And uh, when we were baptizing uh, each person, they were in the water, and let's let this arm be the water, and they were, they were sitting up like this, and the water in them, they, they formed a cross, and of course, it pictures the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And when they go down under the water, it pictures the burial of Christ. And when they come up out of the water, it pictures the glorious resurrection of Christ. So that it's a tremendous picture, uh, what God did. And then uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Communion, as we gather together as a church family and partake of the two elements, the broken bread and the juice, the fruit of the vine, and that those both represent Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross as his body was broken for us and then his blood was shed for us. So those two ordinances are pictures of what Christ did for us. And they are to only be performed on the author under the authority of the local church um, because we see those being administered by members of a local church um, in throughout the New Testament. Matthew 28, 19 mentions baptism. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 through 26. I won't go through those, that whole passage, but that's Paul's teaching to the church at Corinth regarding communion, the Lord's table, and 
and uh, how they abused it and, and some instruction regarding the fact that they are to look within, uh, look at what Christ, look back at what Christ did, look within, and then look ahead to the fact that he's coming back for us. And uh, we'll talk more about these two ordinances in a little more detail in a future message when we cover the ordinances of the church. The next letter S here is saved and baptized membership. So we believe as Baptists that, um, and, and we'll get into this perhaps in a different message as well, but uh, we do believe that those who are members of the local church need to be saved and then they also need to be baptized. So if you've joined the church since I've been here, you've been asked the question about your salvation, and you've also been asked about whether you've been baptized or not in a Baptist church by full immersion. And so those, those questions are very biblical. Um, let's turn real quickly to a couple passages. Acts chapter number 2, real quickly. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 41 and then one more verse in chapter 2, it says, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So they had received the gospel, that's salvation. Then after that they were baptized, that's baptism. Um, and then they were added, so that's membership. And then we see this repeated here in verse number 47. So that's 41. Then 47, we see praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So saved is a requirement and then baptized is also a requirement. When you look at Acts chapter 10 and all... Uh, for, well, let's look at that real quick here. I was going to forgo it, but let's, let's look at it real quick. Acts chapter 10. It's just a few pages over. Um, Peter is preaching to Cornelius and the people that Cornelius has gathered together. And here's what happens in verse number 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Well, can any man forbid water that there should not, they, these should not be baptized, which we have, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So salvation and then pretty soon after they were saved, they needed to follow the Lord in baptism. And we do see pretty much immediate baptism right after salvation. Usually it didn't wait, they didn't wait till they were, you know, 28 years old and go through, you know, um, or 28 years later or whatever and getting baptized. This was, this was all pretty well immediate. And then at that point, they become added to the church. They, they become... Uh, members of that church. So saved and baptized membership, we believe that. Here's another uh, one real quick um, as we wrap it up tonight, a bonus one. Uh, letter S could also stand for separation and personal holiness. And it depends on, you know, which, um, you know, which book you're reading on it. All, all of these are, 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 are true. But see, um, we do believe as Baptists that Christ's ultimate sacrifice demands 
um, our complete concentration and we desire our, our complete concentration. We desire that our daily living would reflect the holiness of our great God. We believe that members of the church should live a life that is distinct from the world, that we're not to love the world, the things in the world, but we're to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. We're to be holy even as He is holy. Um, and, and, and Baptists traditionally have um, that as an emphasis. There's, there's another one. Uh, we, we do encourage evangelism. Um, we do believe that we are called to go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come to Jesus. We do believe that we've been given the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So uh, those are the Baptist distinctives. That's what we believe as Baptists. That's what makes us a Baptist church and not just Cornerstone Church. We're, we're Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we're, as long as I'm here, we're not taking the name Baptist off the sign. I know there's a lot of churches that drop that, and we kind of want to be incognito Baptists. Look, I want to be, uh, I want to let people know where we stand and what we believe. And uh, we don't want to stand in a wrong spirit. We want to have a strong stand, but we want to have a good spirit about it. Not be obnoxious, but, but have a firm, loving uh, faithfulness to the Lord in all these areas. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and stop there. And uh, we'll pick it up next week with the origin of the church. Where did the church begin? And you say, well, that doesn't really, it's not that important to me. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's here now. Um, our church began in 1947. So, like, that's fine. That's all. I'm good to know that. I think it's interesting to go back and look and see how and when the church was established and, and what aspects were necessary for the church to become, um, to get its start. And so we'll look at that uh, next week, and I'm excited to share that with you. Uh, I was hoping to get to it tonight, um, but uh, we didn't make it, so that's all right. Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll look at some prayer requests uh, tonight. Lord, we uh, just come to you tonight thanking you for the Word of God that helps us to understand um, this institution that you ordained um, back in the New Testament, uh, several Thousand, a couple thousand years ago, Lord, the church. And Lord, this is important uh, to you. Lord, you died for the church. You shed your blood for the church. You gave yourself for this, for the church. And uh, Lord, you care about what goes on here in this particular church. This is one of your churches. Lord, we recognize that. And um, Lord, help us to understand what we believe and to stand firm on it and uh, to stand with the right spirit on it as well. And Lord, we talked about individual soul liberty tonight. We talked about that each and every one of us has, a, has the right, but also the responsibility to choose what we do with Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's one here tonight that hasn't made that choice, Lord, I'd love to make that choice for them, but we already established I can't do that. Um, Lord, I wish I could, but I can't. So, Lord, I pray that I can pray that uh, that you would work in their heart and draw them to that decision, to to draw them to that moment where they realize that they're a sinner and they realize that they need a savior and that you love them and that you gave your son to live a perfect and sinless life and die on the cross and rise again the third day for them. Lord, I pray that they would be born again, that they would place their faith in Christ tonight and not wait another day. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us all, Lord, to understand our responsibility as we make choices in our everyday life that we're going to one day have to give an account for them. Lord, help us to remember that and to help that to, um, or may, may that cause us to uh, be more careful with our decisions and more thoughtful about them and to consider what you'd want us to do in each and every area. And Lord, thank you for your love for us, and thank you for the time together tonight with our church family. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, continue to work in each life and bless the prayer request time now in Jesus' name. Amen.